Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for February 17th, 2016. Today, we're going to talk about outbound predictive dialing. And is it dead in the United States? You'll find out here in just a few moments. Now, of course, we'd like to invite you, as you're listening live, to be a part of the show and ask us some questions. The best way is to email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com. That's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Also, I'd like to remind you that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at our website, benchmarkportal.com, at any time that's good for you. We have over five seasons of shows in there now and all sorts of different topics for just about anyone. So make sure you stop by and check those out. But let's go ahead and jump into today's show and let me introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Welcome back to Call Talk, everyone, and thank you very much, Brian. As you know, Call Talk tends to concentrate on the world of inbound contact centers, but today we'll be hopping over to the outbound side, where there's been a lot of discussion and some controversy about what, where, and how these calls can be made. And that's why we've uh, brought in an uh, old friend and expert for you to talk about this, uh, Mr. Alec Demchik. Welcome to the show, Alex. Well, thanks, Bruce. It's great to be here. Okay. Well, uh, you're an old hand at this as well, so uh, we're, we're looking forward to a great show. And just to introduce uh, Alex to those of you who don't know him, he's a lifelong resident of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and has been involved with call centers since 1978. Having completed the three years electronics degree at Allegheny Tech, he merged his passion for electronics to the call center industry and served as a beta site for what are now some standard products. So he's really seen the, the entire arc of, the, of uh, development of this industry. So at a certain point, seeing the lack of ability for some predictive dialer manufacturers to convey benefits and the ROI of their equipment, uh, he wrote a book called How to Sell Dialers to Call Center Managers. And later on, he teamed with my old partner, uh, now retired Dr. John Anton of Purdue University, who was then mainly involved also with inbound call centers, and together they created uh, his second book, Optimizing Outbound Calling, which, I, in fact, I have sitting here on my desk right here. And after a long and successful career in banking, he's now a full-time consultant and general manager of Mug Enterprises, where he continues to develop products for the industry and provide guidance, training, and reviews for call centers worldwide. Uh, his clients have included the likes of Microsoft, Capital One, U.S. Bank, and many others. So we're really happy to have you back, Alex. And I'd like to dive right in by uh, saying, you know, mentioning that when we were talking, you referenced seeing some massive changes in the outbound calling regulations, both at the federal level and the state level. And, of course, we've got 50 states in the United States, so uh, that's a lot of stuff. So could you provide us with a high-level overview of these changes and their impact uh, that they have on outbound calling? Yeah, Bruce, it's, 2015 was one of those watershed years in outbound calling. Uh, up until that point, uh, the FCC, the FTC, no one could actually even agree on what a predictive dialer was. So... Back in uh, June of 2015, the Fed finally came together and addressed something like 21 different uh, petitions to try to get clarification on what a dialer was. So 
So, uh, at the end of the day, what they came up with uh, was any system that had the potential capacity, and potential capacity is the key word here, to hold numbers for outbound calling. So, at that point, that includes any type of hardware on site, hardware hosted, or something based in the cloud. What they also decided to do was to then enforce all the ancillary regulations surrounding especially cell phone calling. We all know that from the telemarketing side, calling a cell phone has been taboo for many years unless you have explicit written consent, and we'll talk about that. Now, the Fed also says you can not contact any cell phone regardless of what, whether it's a collection account or, or uh, a sales call, without explicit uh, written consent. And that includes political campaigns that we're hot and heavy, obviously, into now in the United States. Uh, exemptions, of course, would be for medical notifications, this sort of thing. So that has been one of the uh, one of the biggest changes that we're faced with right now. And the Fed basically has uh, instructed everyone that you will now be compliant instantaneously. Hmm. So th this is something that was released last July, as I understand it, correct? Correct. And, and, and it became it, effective immediately. And was was there some sort of a grace period that uh, for compliance or something like that? None. There's no ramp-up time. It's not like in July they said, hey, you have until the end of the year to get compliant. There's no ramp-up time. So uh, I know it's kind of an oxymoron, the, the federal government and instantaneous, uh, never used to go hand-in-hand. <laughs> <in hand. laughs> yes, quick, quick and federal government <laughs> usually don't go together, unless they're no. telling you what to do, right? <laughs> and that's exactly what occurred. So uh, they are saying that right now you have to be compliant, and this has caused a lot of problems, obviously, for their larger uh, call centers. Um, mm. you know, because while the we'll say that the information is out there to do cell phone scrubbing, uh, yeah. there's various databases that you can subscribe to. We're talking about call centers having to do the due diligence to find that customer, we all know what it's like to get large companies to make an acquisition of a printer, let alone, you know, uh, really purchasing databases, and then maintaining these databases, integrating it with their app-on dialing equipment to ensure that they are not calling uh, cell phones. So mm -hmm. that has created a real problem. Now, the other thing that has occurred in this ruling is the potential capacity. And I can't stress those two words enough, uh, because yeah. what yeah. some call centers wanted to do is institute preview dialing, because let's face it, maybe uh, we've now identified you as having a cell phone. We still need to call you because you're past due on your mortgage payment and we do mm -hmm. not have explicit written consent from you to call you on our predictive dialer. 
So we still have to call you. So what they would do is think they could scrub the cell phones, put the uh, cell phones in a separate list, and use the dialer's preview dialing capacity. And that's where the screen pops up, it has Bruce's account, and the agent then can hit a key, and it will dial you. That's not predictive. That is an agent literally hitting a key to dial the phone number. Right. The Fed has now ruled that since that account resides on a system that has the potential capacity to call predictively, that is no longer legal. Wow, okay. So that's why all those people have been calling me asking to get paid, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not only are you not paying your bills. Okay, no. <laughs> or maybe they've stopped. Okay, so the the fact is, and this is probably, may still be an eye-opener to a lot of people listening to this show, and that is that if you have an on-premise system or you have a uh, hosted system that's in the cloud, it doesn't really matter if it nope. has the potential capacity to act in this way. It's considered definitionally a predictive dialer, correct? Yes, that's correct. Uh, and what makes it even stranger, let's say that you go to your dialer company and you tell them, okay, take out all the code that makes this system call predictively. Mm -hmm. The Fed looks at it that that is not good enough because that code could be put back. Mm -hmm. Thereby, you have <laughs> capacity to call yeah. predictively. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so we, it's being fought. There's uh, certainly a lot of lobbying groups that are arguing the fact that um, you know you can trust the bank to give you the correct amount of money you owe on a bill, uh, you trust them to take in that payment, uh, so on and so forth, but you don't trust them to not call a cell phone predictively. Hmm. And the systems hmm. all maintain these records as to how that record was called. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as of now, okay. you're in violation if you use preview dialing. You're in okay, so I cannot use my dialer in preview mode to call cell phones, even if I enter each digit of the number. That's correct. Okay. Well, that's a big deal. Okay. It is. Uh, good to um, know. Yeah, and now what you can do uh, and what some companies have done at additional expense, of course, is you can still use the dialer in preview mode to use, utilize it as workflow. So, in other words, Bruce's mortgage account pops up on the agent's screen. He uh -huh. cannot make the phone call to the dialer, but if he has a separate line on his desk, he can enter in the 10 digits and dial you up that way and then update the dialers to what happens. So you can use it for workflow as long as you mm -hmm. dial it on a separate phone line. As long as you separate it out. Okay, very interesting. Exactly. It would be interesting. It would be interesting to hear the rationale behind that. I, I suppose they're just uh, trying to make sure that something – uh, you know, you don't slip back into predictive dialing mode, I guess, is the idea. And that therefore, you have to have a workflow that is designed uh, rigorously to avoid that. Is that correct? That's, that's exactly it. And um, now, you did mention logical reason. And remember, as I said at the top of the show, <laughs> we're dealing with the federal government. So uh, 
that's another oxymoron. Work. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, uh, is there a way? I mean, just to sort of bottom it out, not to get around something that that's uh, there or something, but just to understand. Uh, can, can a center avoid liability by splitting up ownership? You know, outsourcing the dialing and doing something like that. Um, some may think that that's the case because what you may have uh, already been experienced and a lot of our listeners may have already experienced uh, is an uptick on their cell numbers from offshore call centers, mm. especially for, um, hey, get lower credit card rates, press one now. Uh, the problem is once uh, you offshore, you're still absolutely 100% liable for whatever that offshore company is doing. It does right. not change the law because it's offshore. Uh, okay. And the other thing that's occurring, too, and this came into law two years ago, is the Truth and Caller ID Act. And what that was to get around was what was referred to as spoofing. So, again, you know I'm from XYZ Bank. I'm going to call you about your mortgage payment. You already know your past due. So if you see XYZ Bank come up on your caller ID, there's a real good chance you probably won't want to talk to me. So you won't answer the phone. So there were actually some cottage industries that started up where they would route your calls through their system and make the number appear as a local number. So if you're living in San Diego, it would have a local San Diego number. Uh, it would say maybe local for the name or unknown. So that is called spoofing, and that would trick you into answering that call. That is no longer legal. You have to provide the name and a phone number, and that phone number in the caller ID has to be a number that is actually answered by human beings, not a pre-recorded message. Okay, so uh, in terms of outsourcing, in terms of sort of uh, these um, workarounds that you're just talking about, uh, not legal, not you can't do that. And um, let's just talk about internet to telephone technology as auto dialers, given the uh, advances that we've had now. Because, for instance, could a smartphone techni- technically be an auto dialer? Be a dialer? That was actually one of the arguments. A smartphone can, in fact, be turned into a dialer. But right now, at least, the Fed is not going to rule them as being dialers. Okay, okay. So they actually did, did talk about it, but it was It was actually they, discussed. Uh, I'm kidding okay, you not. It, it was it, actually discussed. Okay. So a step too far for the moment, but something that was discussed. Okay. Interesting. Um, and, and what about texting? Uh, where does texting fall in all of this? Well, again, uh, good point. A lot of companies thought, well, okay, I can't call the uh, the cell phone. I'll text them. Texting is actually considered a cell call. There's no difference, and it comes under the same compliance. Okay, because one of the reasons to talk about this uh, that I'm sure is interesting to our, our uh, listeners is the fact that particularly with millennials, they mm-hmm. prefer to to text. Uh, right. I, I probably have mentioned on the show before the experience that I had once with my son, who is a millennial, 
and who, uh, when uh, in scouting, we were uh, going to scouts, and the rule is that you can have your uh, you know, electronic device with you until we get to the trailhead, and then all of that stays in the car, and you're out with nature from there on in, right? But right. he's in the front seat of the car. We've got a, a, a SUV, three seats, you know, uh, all filled, and uh, he's on his texture. And I said, well, why don't you interact with the uh, scouts here in the, in, the SUV, in the car? And he said, I am. And I said, what? <laughs> he was texting one of the scouts in the third seat back, right? And I said, William, turn around and talk to him. <laughs> Just talk to him. You don't have to use the tactic. But in uh, the case, for instance, of legitimate collections, what you were talking about with um, right. a loan or a, um, a mortgage, something like that, then if you can get the permission, right, but you have to get right. the permission, then you can use texting in order to uh, reach your client, let them know that, or remind them that they need to pay, and perhaps even at that point, you know, give them an opportunity to pay electronically at least part of what they owe, uh, so that you can get some wallet share out of the the money that they've got. Is, is that the case? Well, yeah, and and getting back to permission, uh, one of the things that came about too is the fact that. Uh, this is something that you can't bury in the contract where, okay, you give us permission to contact you via cell, any cell number or text you or email you or whatever. Um, that has been modified. So now they're talking about explicit written consent, and explicit written consent means they will sign a separate document, not mm. something that's buried in the contract, to the fact mm. that, you give uh, they give you permission to text they give you permission to contact them at uh, on the cell phone and you better hold on to that record mm-hmm. now when it mm-hmm. comes to explicit written permission of course uh the fed also gave the consumer the ability to opt out and mm. i'm talking opt out at any time so using your poor mortgage as an example, maybe you just get this mortgage, you're late on your first payment, you contact them on their cell phone, and they say, hey, you know what, you can't call me on my cell phone anymore. That's that's it. They have then effectively withdrawn permission. Okay, and that can be done verbally. In other words, a It written, can be done verbally. Uh, now the Fed is uh, saying they should follow that up in writing, but they can do it verbally. Interesting, because uh, obviously what what will oftentimes happen, and I see it in my own life, is that if I give permission and then I want to revoke it, I have no idea why, and I don't want to spend the time to figure out how to do that. And um, uh, if it's just a verbal, though, please, you know, don't call me again this way, then that's uh, a much different thing. It's much easier to do. Okay. Yeah. If we unfortunately. Yeah. So if we look at sort of uh, what's definitely uh, allowed, what's definitely not allowed, and then, you know, this being government regulations, there's always going to be some sort of gray area in the middle. Uh, Clearly, if you have the old-style telephone where you're punching or dialing or, you know, rotary, then you can do that. Um, Right. What about speed dialing? Speed dialing um, is not considered an auto dialer, again, providing what you're using to speed dial is not attached to anything that has the capacity to be turned into a predictive dialer. 
Gotcha. Okay, so, so speed that's dialing where is we okay. get into that capacity piece. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And uh, call forwarding. Call forwarding. Um, you know, again, that would be considered pretty much the same thing. It's the idea that as long as the device does not have the ability to do any type of predictive dialing or be converted into a predictive dialer through hardware or software changes, you're okay. Okay, great. So then on the other end of the uh, spectrum, predictive dialers obviously uh, fall into the category, Internet to telephone technology, the other things you were talking about. Is there any um, sort of middle uh, fuzzy area still in terms of uh, gray areas that we our listeners should know about? Well, you know, when you get into, you know, we did talk to about preview dialing. Uh, yep. Some companies, manufacturers, uh, refer to it as managed dial, and again, that's where you have that um, record up, and you launch the call through the dialer. You cannot utilize that piece uh, on your own predictive dialer. You can, however, and this is one of those, we'll call it cautionary areas, if you offshore outsource the hardware or it's cloud-based and they are giving you a preview dialer that you do not have any kind of systemic access or hardware access to, that has actually passed the test of being permitted. But here again, uh, really the listeners would have to weigh in the cost because now you're talking about perhaps going through a third party strictly to use a dialer for workflow. Right. Where yeah, a no, lot exactly. of, yeah, so you already have that dialer uh, to use it for workflow. You're talking about, yes, adding a secondary phone line like a lot of our large bank clients have done and have the agents literally pound out those 10 or 11 digits to make that phone call. Right. No, and obviously our, our intent here is uh, just to tell people how they can be in compliance, not to get around it. We want people to understand how to stay in compliance. Well, one question, What are, is, this probably has not been tested in the courts yet. Uh, do you think it will be, and where does that oh, stand? I think it will be, and, and keep in mind as we speak, there's certainly various trade groups that lobby continuously to uh, get these not only regulations cleared, but get them changed. Now, one of the things that's really interesting in the United States uh, about cell phones compared to really the rest of the world, because when I talk to you know customers in Canada, the U.K., Europe, wherever, um, they're just astounded by the fact that we have these cell phone regulations. Uh, Canada, some of the larger banks there, actually make attempts to call the cell phones because, well, they want to talk to you. So if you're, they don't care if you're driving in your car or you're at work or wherever, they want to talk to you. And they mm-hmm. actually zero in on those cell numbers because they're permitted to. Now, mm-hmm. why is the United States taking on this very odd behavior on cell phones? Mainly because of the cost. And in most other countries cellular carriers, just like in the United States landlines, inbound calls are not metered. 
<laughs> so if I have a landline in the United States through one of the you know AT&T or Verizon or whomever, and I have the bare minimum service of $16 a month or whatever the case may be for that landline, I can receive an inbound call and talk for 24 hours. It doesn't matter. My bill's never going to change. But right. on the cellular inbound, that's metered in a lot of cases. That actually works against the minutes. And where a lot of this stemmed from was, number one, over-dialing. So you're calling, we were calling cell phones, putting them in an outbound wait queue. So the meter's running. In theory, the consumer's paying just to hear your wait music because you were running your dialer too fast. Mm. Or you're trying to sell them something, and they're literally paying to hear your spiel. So that's where the regulators really kind of jumped in. Now, you would think Mm -hmm. it would be a lot easier for the cellular carriers to finally say, you know what, we'll go like the rest of the world and not charge you for inbound calls. That isn't likely going to happen in our lifetime. Okay. So understandable, I mean, uh, why that would be a concern. And uh, I'd like to get to a couple questions that – Brian has, but just a, a quick question on kind of a minor issue, but one that would be kind of interesting, and that has to do with reassigned wireless numbers, because uh, they do get reassigned from time to time. And They do. Uh, is there li- liability that uh, attaches to, to those? Yeah, here's, here's the situation. Um, you have a couple of things here. You can get a number that has been uh, reassigned wirelessly. You get your landline. You can get converted over. Um, you basically get uh, what's referred to as one call safe harbor. So mm-hmm. to qualify, the caller bears the burden of showing they had no knowledge, okay, of the reassignment. Yeah. or had a, a reasonable basis to believe that, you know, they had valid consent. So if I, you've been a customer of mine on uh, your mortgage for five years, you finally get your uh, landline converted to a cellular number, I have no idea. I've been calling you on that same line forever, so I'm thinking I'm safe. Hmm. But the problem is you're not necessarily going to say, hey, by the way, you're calling me on a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. therefore, the actual caller, the company using the dollar, could find themselves in peril at that point. And Interesting. Yeah, so that's why, and the way the Fed looks at that, uh, you get that one shot, uh, agents are not going to ask you, oh, by the way, you've been my customer for five years, am I calling a cell phone today? That's not mm-hmm. going to happen. So that's why it's recommended strongly that no matter what, you're checking your database continuously regardless of how long that customer's been with you, regardless of how many times you've called that number, because at any time a phone number can be ported over. Gotcha. Okay, and there's obviously costs and, uh, you know, effort that goes into that. But it it's kind of reminds me of the old, um, from law school, the old one-bite rule under English common law, which was every dog uh, is considered a safe dog until they bite somebody the first time, right? right. And then the, after that, the uh, uh, liability attaches to the owner. Uh, up until that first bite, the owner doesn't have liability. But after that first bite, 
they've got liability. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, uh, it, well, th- that's exactly it. And the thing to remember, um, back in my Mellon Bank days, we had a corporate attorney who once said, it cost even an innocent person a great deal of money to prove that fact. So yeah. even if you really, really try to tried to comply, if you get caught, it's going to cost a great deal of money just to prove you're innocent. Yeah. Okay. Well, these are great insights. Thank you very much, Alex. I'd like to turn it over to Brian now for a question or two, if we if we have time, from our yeah, listeners. Sure. And, and actually, Alex, uh, one question. I wonder, have you heard about that the government was considering uh, doing kind of a, a workaround or an exception to the predictive dialing if agents were forced to use rotary phones? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think they also recommended that they could always take a handful of quarters and find that local payphone down on the street. <laughs> well played, Alex. Even better. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> Okay, a real question here. This is from Todd. Uh, Todd says, I'm looking to set up an outbound call center. What is the first item you'd recommend that I start with or research? Uh, Compliance. And, boy, has that changed. Um, At one time, I spent really uh, all of my time looking for ways to improve uh, performance in the call center. The last three years, Myself and and really Mug Enterprise have done nothing except work on compliance issues, uh, and that's been everything from being an expert witness in defense um, or coming up with software add-ons to make dialers compliant. So anyone looking to migrate either from a current dialer to a new one to install a dialer. The first thing you need to do is understand the rules of the road because at this point, any manufacturer will sell you a dialer. It's like buying a car. They don't care if you have a driver's license or know how to use it. So it's going to be on you to get the answers as to what you can and can't do and make sure the equipment you're purchasing can stay compliant or at least work with all the various packages out there that help make you compliant. Compliance right now trumps productivity because that productivity save will go away real quick in court. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, Chris has a question that actually kind of comes right, follows up to that answer. Uh, You brought up some federal laws earlier which changed in 2015. And Chris is asking, are there specific state laws that that he needs to know about? And if so, where should he start with those? (laughs) That is a really good question. Um, Right now, Massachusetts, uh, the state attorney general, and what I can do, I will uh, provide that uh, web information. And I guess we can put some slides, uh, Bruce, up on the website. Yeah, I should tell our listeners that Alex has kindly agreed uh, post-show to give us a slide deck that reflects our conversation, uh, gives that information and and, uh, a bit more information, too. So, yeah, if you could include that in uh, the slide deck, that would be great, Alex. We'd appreciate that. Yeah, not a problem. Massachusetts right now, and Massachusetts has always been an exciting state. It was always the one state where you could not solicit a post-dated check to uh, clear a debt. Every other state might have laws against uh, soliciting a post-dated check, uh, but it's okay to solicit a post-dated check for the purpose of resolving a debt. 
Massachusetts, no. But Massachusetts now has also enacted regulations where you're only permitted to call two times per seven-day period per debt. So, Bruce, if you move to Mass, you're only going to get two calls a week regarding that past due mortgage of yours. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, the problem with that is most dialers have what's referred to as uh, a reattempt or a recall strategy. And that's where, okay, if I get your answering machine, for example, I can choose to hang up on it and try you back later in hopes that you're available. So if I do that on Monday, I've then just blown my two attempts for the seven-day period if Mm. I don't reach you. Mm. And the information is actually very well spelled out on the State Attorney General's website uh, for Massachusetts. West Virginia now is enacting laws where they have attempt counters, and it's already successfully litigated against a very large bank. And the situation was basically uh, the person uh, had overdrawn their checking account, and, of course, just like Domino's, payments started to bounce on, we'll use the example of their mortgage, installment load, and, and credit card. Well, as we know, most large banking institutions have their their products separated out in their call centers. Uh, They may be even physically separated in different states. So what had occurred, you had the DDA or the checking department calling saying, hey, Mr. Customer, you overdrew your checking account. The mortgage group was calling to say, hey, uh, that payment you made bounced. You had the installment loan department saying, hey, you know, you're past due, uh, that last payment bounced, you need to pay up. So the consumer filed a harassment complaint against the bank. The bank's defense was, well, Your Honor, we have these different divisions and the products are separated out because of the expertise required to handle each one. And the judge basically rolled I don't care what your organizational structure is. At the end of the day, XYZ Bank called this person X amount of times. That's harassment, and you're paying. Wow. Okay. Well, a word to the word to the wise there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we're waiting for California. Um, they're usually ahead of the game, uh, but at this yeah. point, and this is this almost goes back to the. Uh, the other listener's question about what to look for um, in dialers, you have to now be able to make sure you can control what's going on, not only on the federal level, but on the state level. And these things are continuously changing. You're going to need to uh, really be in touch with the state's either Public Utility Commission or the State Bureau of Consumer Affairs. And make sure you're checking these websites because it's not like they make general announcements or make it easy to find. Okay, it's going to be an interesting patchwork, too. I mean, when you think about West Virginia and Massachusetts, 
there's not a whole lot that connects those two uh, states except for the Appalachian Mountains. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, and and West Virginia really surprised us because um, they're generally pretty lax um, about their calling. Uh, now you have states like Pennsylvania, and here again, this is where we talk about being informed. The Fed says you can use a dialer between 8 a.m. and 9 p.m. The state of Pennsylvania Bureau of Consumer Affairs says you can use a dialer between 8 a.m. and 9 p.m. The state of Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission, whose phone lines you're using, says you can only use a dialer predictively between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. So even within the state itself, they don't agree. Interesting, interesting. Okay. Well, we're getting toward the end. Do we have time for one more call, uh, Brian, or one more question? Yeah, I think so. This is a good one, too. Uh, we've heard a lot of great discussion, Alex. You've brought a, a ton of information to the table. But uh, Wendy wants to get kind of that pearl, that wisdom off from you and asking, what would be a lesson learned that you could share with us? Probably the, the biggest, best lesson that you could share. Um, training your agents to understand these regulations and how critical it is, training the system operators to understand these regulations and make sure they understand why. Reporting. Uh, you have to maintain very accurate, clean, understandable reporting. Uh, up on abandonment, I believe the recommendation is four years. We recommend maintaining records for abandonment and who you called and when you called them and what number you called for a seven-year period. You're better to have too much than too little. And then lastly, um, be cautious of those things that are yet to come. Uh, VoIP is a really up-and-coming trend in the U.S. We have Magic Jack Bondage, not to give them plugs. But right now, you can reside in California and request a, a VoIP phone through Magic Jack and end up with a New York area code. So what's going to happen if I have that number in my dialer? Most dialers go by the area code, the time zone, so I could end up calling you during noncompliant times. Now, there's no real regulations out there regarding VoIP phones, but it's something that a lot of call centers are finding themselves in trouble because they're doing it the way they've always done it, and that is just calling the numbers. You have to confirm, does that phone number really match the uh, contractual address of who I'm calling? And if you do that, that will at least put you in a little bit better position to defend yourself. Hmm. Okay. Good good insights, good insights. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, but this has been an information-packed session. Uh, Alex, I'd really like to thank you very much for coming on, sharing that information, uh, and appreciate the uh, uh, permission to utilize the uh, slide deck that you'll update and give to us uh, that reflects a lot of the stuff in this conversation. So uh, hopefully our uh, audience has learned a lot from this. And um, any last pearls before we turn it over to Brian? Well, I guess we're all facing that same enemy, and it's unemployment. So uh, be informed, dig for information, and be safe. Great. Okay, thank you. Over to Brian. 
All right. Well, thanks, Alex and Bruce. Appreciate all the information that you guys uh, talked about today. And for all of our listeners, I'm going to do my best to put a link in the description uh, portion of the show there so you'll be able to either copy-paste that into a browser or even click on it and find the slide pack that we were talking about in today's show. So, of course, I want to remind you that all of our shows are available on our website at benchmarkportal.com, and you can click on Call Talk. Would you scroll down the page? You'll find over five seasons of shows that we have now uh, hosted for you, and they're all free and all sorts of different great topics for you to explore. So that's going to go ahead and uh, be it for us today, but I want to say to everyone, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day. That's a wrap. Watch those predictive dialers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.